This is a fiercely pro George Carl podcast. What Mark Jackson said, pretty benign. I don't know if I would have caused a stink over it, gone online and gotten mad. Do you want Furious George mad at you? I don't. So we're going to take the position of George Carl's side. Here on Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com, I'm J.P. Chunga. You'll hear from George Carl in just a moment. He's a guest on this episode as we talk the series Nuggets Jazz with the coach and also his life. You have to talk to George Carl if you have an opportunity. And I know you want me to ask about the Twitter beef, but we talked Thursday morning, so apologies for not getting in on that. We've got Game 3, 1-1, today, 2 o'clock Mountain Time. Game 4 is on Sunday, prime time, 7 o'clock. And then Game 5, as of right now, to be determined. We'll hear on that, I'm sure, in the next couple of days. Donovan Mitchell has been phenomenal. I know I was concerned about how he would handle Torrey Craig as somebody who was a good matchup for him. Well, he's handled him pretty well. And Denver's done different things. They've had Jeremy Grant on him. They have had all sorts of traps, blitzes on Donovan. Hadn't worked. Not at all. 57 in Game 1, 30 in Game 2. And I understand the argument that you can make, I'd rather have Game 2 done over Game 1. How about we don't live in this binary reality where I have to choose one of these? They were both good, and frankly, Game 1 was electric. Third most scoring in the playoffs, only to Michael Jordan and Elgin Baylor. You know the stat. You've heard it ad nauseum. If he doesn't have an eight-second violation, they win that game. And the Jazz are up two games to nothing in the series. And you'll take Game 1 every single time. It wasn't Donovan in the Donovan airs in Game 1. You had chip-ins from Joe Ingles getting scoring. He effectively ran the offense in the first half. Played fine defense of Michael Porter Jr. Donovan found an opening and did it. 19-33 from the field, 6-15 of 15 from three. He dished out seven assists in that game, playing the one role with Mike out. The bench was a minus, minus 13 in the first game. And then they flipped the script, plus 12 in game two. It's that. It's not losing those bench minutes and Donovan making his presence felt. We understand the playoff struggles for Donovan last season. Nothing of the sort in year three. He's come out dealing. 57 points. I think we have to get our minds around how huge that number is. When Michael dropped 61 in the Celtics in 86, Larry Bird called him a god after the game. This is Larry Bird, who doesn't mince words, plain spoken, doesn't gas up people if it's unnecessary. Well, he called Michael Jordan a god. This is the coming out party. And if he could do this against the Nuggets and get them passed and into the second round, whoa, you can sure bet that the entire league is going to take notice. It's a little under the radar because it's not the huge team of the Clippers. It's not against the Lakers. It's only against a Rocky Mountain team. It's only in one time zone, this playoff series. If he makes it to the next round, that's when I think you'll see the national attention and everybody talking about it. There's a little chatter. I hear it. I hear the rumblings. But what it deserves and the elevation to level play that he's at, 
it'll come if this team gets to the second round. Donovan's amazing. That that has to be the takeaway from the first two games. Utah shot 20 of 44 from threes, 8 of 12 on corner threes. That second game, 150 points per possession. Yeah, the offense is amazing, but that's what we saw from Denver during the bubble games. They had no defense. They were the worst bubble defense in the entire league. And since February, they've been one of the worst defenses outright. Utah can score, and because of Rudy Gobert, as he saw what he did against Jokic in the second quarter of Game 2, they can turn it up for defensive stretches to put the game out of lock. 22-3 to run in the last six minutes of that second quarter. The Gobert block, then the Gobert jam. That was as good of a game as you could see from Utah in Game 2. Outplaying Denver completely. The Game 1 win for the Nuggets came as a result of Jamal Murray hitting tough, tough shots. And you heard Coach Quinn Snyder in the practice session the next day how you have to tip your cap if they're making tough shots. That's what Jamal Murray did in the overtime, in the fourth quarter when he was trying to go back and forth with Donovan. He makes tough shots. He came back down to earth on Wednesday when you put Royce O'Neal on him. Slows him down. And Jokic, who is a huge, crucial piece to this whole thing, he gets the most touches. He is their point center. He hasn't made his presence felt. I remember seeing him three years ago in Donovan's rookie year and seeing that this guy is a triple-double waiting to happen. Can rebound the basketball, can score, and then he's the quarterback of their offense. Finding the open cutters, seeing their actions go. Jokic has three assists in Game 1, six in Game 2. As George Carl phrases it in our interview, you don't feel him. He isn't influencing the play of this series. And that's the issue. They need him to do that. Utah did something else that was interesting in Game 2. They put Juwan Morgan on him. It allows Rudy to be a help defender. And if Juwan can give you a couple of possessions, that's huge. Now the other thing that will feature in Friday's game, Mike Conley. Mike. Uh, it's Mike. Everybody, it's Mike. Michael? It's all right, Mike. You'll be out we'll soon, man. Soon, we'll see you soon, Mike. <laughs> look at him, look at him. May be available. After his four-day quarantine, after returning from Columbus, birth of his son, he joins the series, and he's already playing fine-level basketball when it came to the six games during the bubble. 18 points, 5 assists on 43% shooting, 37% from 3. You put him into the lineup, he takes minutes away from Emmanuel Moutier, and he brings more fine decision-making onto the floor. Mike's shown himself and what he can do in the playoffs. Look at the playoff numbers. Last playoffs that he was in, guy averaged 24 points per game, 7 assists, 44% from 3. He's been one of those guys that stepped up in the playoffs. Like Jordan Clarkson? Kind of a worry when they brought him in. You look at the playoff numbers and they're not fantastic. His career bests have been the first two games of this Denver series. He posted a career playoff high in game one, career playoff high in game two, 18 points and 26. Now Quinn's asking a lot out of him as far as carrying the scoring load for the second unit and at times playing alongside Donovan. But there was a concern about how he would respond once he gets to the postseason. He's been great. But when Mike comes back in, he gives another playmaker and another point guard to start the offense. 
doesn't have to be just Joe Ingles and Donovan Mitchell. Now you have Mike to make good decisions for you as well. Have to commend Indiana basketball and Android 13 fan Jawan Morgan for his two first starts being in the playoffs. Performed admirably in game one. He hit a nice three. In game two, he hit the first three playing fine defense on Jokic for a couple of possessions. Not easy to have your role be put into the first five after not playing huge minutes previously. Now, it doesn't matter who's starting because Juwan Morgan isn't going to be with the ending lineup, but he gave you enough minutes. Expectations for Conley have to be what they were when he was playing in the bubble. He had a fine game against Denver in that Saturday showcase. He adds another dimension, great asset for this team. Again, Game 3 today at 2 o'clock Mountain Time on AT&T Sportsnet and also TNT. Last bit of news before we head out on Round Ball Roundup. Johnny Bryant was reported earlier this week. He's going to New York as an associate head coach. Congratulations to Johnny. He's been influential for Donovan Mitchell's growth, huge for Gordon Hayward back in the day. He started out as a trainer around the area, local product, went to the University of Utah to play basketball, was the trainer for Paul Millsap, joined Ty Corbin's staff, and then after was retained by Quinn Snyder. He's developed himself into a really, really, really good developmental assistant coach. Completely self-made. It's difficult to gain the trust of a guy to put their skills in your hand. And, and you have to sculpt and mold the clay to make them better. And he did that with every single project that he's taken. Donovan, you've seen the growth. Gordon Hayward, when he was here, you saw the growth. He's so, so good at his job. Tremendous opportunity to be with the Knicks. And to see him advance the ladder when it comes to this profession. It's a cutthroat business. You'll hear it when we talk to George. Sometimes you get fired when you don't deserve it. Sometimes you get hired when you do. His story is a really good one. And he's so good with the relationships with players. Really admirable. You see those interviews that Damian Lillard gives post-game where he's talking about his guy, Phil Beckner. I mean, Johnny Bryant's in that same category. These guys are so careful in their preparation and just challenging the guys that they work with. Congratulations to Johnny. As Quinn said when the announcement was made, Last time that this happened, they won a playoff series. Igor Kokoshkov got the Phoenix head coaching job, and he was still with the Jazz in 2018. Could that be an omen? We'll see. We'll be back on Monday. Special treat for you on that with our next guest on utahjazz.com. And stick around for Round Ball Roundup. Five-star reviews, that's all I ask of you. As the series shifts, and as it's 1-1 heading into Game 3, we talk to Coach Carl. Longtime coach in the NBA, stops in Milwaukee, Denver, Seattle. He's a lifer. Been around the game, analyzed the game at ESPN, came across his work because he has a podcast out called Truth and Basketball. Guests include Dwayne Casey, Wayne Embry, who was the first African-American general manager in the league. He had a great pod with Ryan Russillo. He's at the point of his life where he doesn't have to be careful with what he says in the media. He can give you the unvarnished truth and go completely in on what he's seeing from his perspective. He's willing to criticize the Nuggets. 
coaching decisions, for lineup decisions. You'll hear it from him. Tremendous wealth of basketball knowledge. We do remember some guys with John Stockton, Gary Payton, Sean Kemp, even Rick Majerus. It's a fun conversation. Glad he was able to stop by for 20 minutes to look at the series and talk a little bit about his life. Let's do it. George Carl, his biggest takeaway from the first two games of Jazz Nuggets. Donovan Mitchell. I mean, uh, I met Donovan about three years ago. I visited Salt Lake City with Quinn to talk about gap offense. And, uh, and I spent about a half hour with well, not that long, probably about 15 minutes. And, and Donovan came up to me and he asked me, and I looked at this guy and I said, this guy's really, you know, he has a presence to him. He has a leadership. I want to be good, but I want to listen and learn type of mentality to him. Very impressed. That was like two or three years ago. Um, but this is his coming out party a little bit. You know, he struggled in the playoffs last year. Now he's playing like a stud. You know, my belief there's good players, and then there's all-star players, and then there's elite players. And I think you're seeing Damon Lillard and and Donovan Mitchell go from that all-star talent to elite players a little bit and right in front of us. And it's fun to watch. I mean, I actually thought his game, too, was a better game than game one. I mean, I've coached guys that when they get going, they get 57. You know, it's, it's, it's a little individualistic. And I think Dunham did a hell of a job realizing he got 57 and lost. And he had to help his other guys help him win. And had no problem with it, committed to it, all about winning mentality. He was getting a little bit of a, a double team early in the game, didn't panic, didn't lose his uh, composure. Um, I mean, he, he was really good at finding the three ball. They made, I think he had, of his eight assists, seven of them were three balls. Uh, and that's huge in our game today. Uh, Utah was committed to it. And, you know, getting Clarkson and getting, uh, they played really well off the ball. And I thought O'Neal's uh, defense on Murray was a big part of why they controlled the game. For Coach Quinn, at least, Royce O'Neal has been employed as the guy that he puts on the best score for the opposite team. This Nugget squad has a little bit of something different when they have that two-man game of, of Jokic and Murray. How, if you're Mike Malone, do you unlock more of what Jokic is doing because at least in my opinion, he's getting those numbers, but it's not as effective as what you've said from Donovan where he's getting everybody involved. I don't know. I think it's the key to the series that Jokic's playmaking has not showed up. His ability to make other guys better, his ability to find the back doors and the lobs and the layups. I mean, he's, he's, he's played solid, but, you know, a lot of playoff basketball is how the stars negate each other. And Donovan Mitchell is, I mean, he's been the best player on the court, no question. Uh, Denver stole the game in a lot of ways. You know, uh, in a lot of ways, Utah was the better team in game one. Uh, So I I think it's an interesting series. I think Denver has probably more tools in their toolbox 
than Utah. But right now, the connection that the team has, the passion they play for, the connection of commitment to one another, the trust and belief they have is better than Denver's. And, you know, we see this all the time. I mean, Denver basically has been slapped, been knocked down, and now they got to get up and come back and fight and fight with smarter, more together, uh, more intense, and more pride. And I, in the end, I think going into the series, I thought Denver was the, had the more talented team. But after two games, I'm going to say Utah is probably the more connected and together team. How does Mike Conley change his series, his availability up in the air for game three? Um, I think he's just an asset, you know, another, another tool in the toolbox. And I was happy that Mike was starting to play better at the end of the season than in the bubble. But Mike Conley was one of my favorite playoff players over the last five years. He's been a big time player at Memphis. I mean, he made big shots. He knows leadership. You know, he's a guy that makes the team better. And so I think it's only an asset. And that's why I think Denver's got to get better. I think they got to get better play as at their offensive end of the court. They need better playmaking. I don't think they need more shot making. They got a lot of guys can score, but they don't have a lot of guys that are making the game happen and making it easy for other guys to play. Michael Porter Jr. had his first breakout game of the series in game two. Offensively, he has it. But defensively, you could see Utah being very willing to attack him. I don't like scoring a lot of points and giving up a lot of points. I want more balance to my guys. Uh, <clears throat> they're definitely attacking him. A lot of, a lot of pick and rolls with him, and they switch, he switches on. And they're happy with that matchup, especially when it's Mitchell. But Ingles has gone by him. Other guys have gone by him. The direct drives, the direct line drives, and the, the ability to get to the paint is Denver's got to kind of zone up better and protect the ball from attacking their defense. Uh, and Mitchell, you know, maybe they'll just let Mitchell score and cover their other. I mean, game two, they lost it because Clarkson got involved, Engels got involved, O'Neal got involved. Gobert was fine, was okay. And then Mitchell took over in the, in the third quarter and closed the game out by, by having a, a very good individualistic game. How have you seen the matchup between Gobert and Jokic? You know, I think both of them are playing good. And I think both of them have a, a higher level to go. I think Gobert can win a game with his defense and with his presence. But I think Denver needs Jokic to win two or three games. I mean, for them to win, Jokic has got to be the best player on the court. And right now, that's not the case. Jokic has been solid. Stats have been good. But I have not felt him. I'm not, you know, when, I, when I'm on the other side and the other guy has a guy that's the best player on the court, I feel him, you know. And Jokic... You know, he's good, but he hasn't been great. 
And I, I think they need his playmaking. I think they need, they need him to have a 10-assist a game rather than 28 and 6 assists. They need his playmaking. And I, I've kind of been a crit critic of Denver that they play without a point guard. Uh, they don't have a lot of playmaking presence on their team other than they play unselfish. But they don't have a guy that can make the game happen other than Jokic. And uh, I've always, I've, I've, I've been criticized for saying that I thought Denver would be a championship caliber team if they would have traded for Chris Paul. And that, that was the guy I thought they should have traded for last year. Well, and we've seen what Chris Paul has done with OKC, buying into what Chris is saying with that squad. I want to stick with this series just one more bit. Jeremy Grant, I saw him as being another part of the X-Factor look for what Denver was going to bring. Some of their best lineups were with him playing at the four, playing a little bit smaller. Is that realistic going forward in this series, seeing more of that Jeremy Grant smaller lineup for the Nuggets? I don't think there's any reason not to go small. Uh, there's so many three balls in this game. There's 60 to 73 balls. And big guys don't rebound the three ball. It's a, the ball bounces all over the place. So everybody's got to rebound the ball when it's a three ball. You know, I would probably start Jeremy Grant uh, for Millsap or Porter. Doesn't matter to me. And I'd probably start um, more... Uh, uh, the Morris kid in the backcourt because I want playmakers. I'd, I'd push, I would put two point guards in the game rather than just one. And then you, you can still have that playmaking with Jokic as, as yeah, the then, yeah. then you I think you got enough. There's not a lot of big guys on the court. Most of the guys are wings or point guards and uh, rebounding. Uh, I think Jokic by himself can be, and Grant's not a bad rebounder. I think they'll get away. They won't get hurt on the boards uh, if they would go small. Is there anything you can say as a coach or coach up as far as trying to stop Donovan when he's in, at this type of level and playing toward this elite status? Well, you know, I think what happened was I think Denver put two on him a little bit early in the game yesterday, right. and he didn't panic. He just let the game happen. I think that's a compliment to him. I've always felt great players changing defenses in the game is the best way to cover him. You know, one way, you know, you can play a drop or then next time jump him and then the next time switch on him. Give him different looks in the game, not just one look to where he'll make the adjustment necessary to find the answer. Has there been a most intriguing series out of the West for you beyond what you're seeing from Jazz Nuggets? Uh, the one thing that the team I like right now is Houston. I mean, I'm, you know, I like fast. I like to play it. You know, they, they made the commitment to trade deadline to go small. And, uh, you know, Gordon played great the other night. Austin Rivers has played really well. Uh, they're playing five guards, and uh, I, I think it can win. I don't think it can win the championship, but I think it can be a nightmare to play against. 
they seem so strange to play. It's almost like playing Washington State in college football because they throw the ball 100 times. Houston shoots the three, what, 60 times in one of the bubble games. Preparing for that, how do, how do you get ready for someone that's such an oddball when it comes to strategy? Again, I think you got to find players that can play that with a mentality that the, the three ball's got to be covered. I think we saw with Golden State the last couple of years, they've been dynamic. And Houston now is adding another dimension to that game because I think Houston puts more attack guys on the court. I mean, they have, they have Harden, they have Westbrook, they have Gordon now attacking the rim, and Austin Rivers. All four of them are aggressively trying to make plays for everybody on the court. They have a couple guys that are just spot-up shooters. I love the way they play and the total commitment. I think they're... If you're asking my opinion, I would like to see a little more balance to their offense, but they're committed. They're committed and dedicated to what they're doing. It's working so far for the Houston Rockets out in the West. Want to get back into your background. We hear a little bit on truth and basketball. Season one is already out right now. Season two will be airing in early fall. I want to start here. Why basketball what drew you to the game and what started you down this path where it would just be in your life for your entire adult life well started with my father my father uh, came to me when i was 16 and said he wanted me to go to work because he couldn't afford sending me to college and at that time i said to my dad i said dad i i just want to get i just want to play basket i want to play baseball basketball i wanted i was i was doing all sports and I said to him, I said, I'll get a scholarship. I'll worry about, let, let, me, let me have the freedom to be an athlete. And it took him time, but he bought in. And fortunately, I, I got, and basically I was, at that time when he talked to me, I was probably a better, probably a better baseball player than I was a basketball player. But because I, because my dad, mom and dad wanted me to go to college, they, they said uh, baseball gave out scholarships, but not many And back in 1969. Most of them were in Arizona and California, not, not in Pittsburgh. So I started more commitment to uh, the game of, of basketball. I blossomed my senior year. And the best decision of my life was I chose to go to North Carolina. And then, then I had the mentor and friendship of Dean Smith and Bill Guthridge. And I miss them both dearly, but they've, they've been good friends my whole life. And they've taught me how, how to love this game the right way. When did you realize that playing was ending and then now you were going to bridge that into coaching? Uh, my last two years, I was with Doug Moe as a player. I tore my knee up. And I basically became an assistant coach, but I was paid as a player. And the combination of Doug and Dean Smith and Larry Brown, I knew I had to try it. And what happened was Doug actually told me after we got fired in San Antonio, he said, George, you're not, a, you're not an assistant coach. You want to be the head coach. So I went off to the CBA and bounced around for a few years in Montana. And I got lucky being hired in Cleveland at age, I think, 33. And fortunately, that worked out. It seems 
almost like Coach Quinn Snyder's journey into coaching, where he bounced around, coached at CSK Moscow, coached in the D League with the Austin Toros. You did the same thing in the CBA, and then you had a wonderful couple years in Madrid, coming back, being a head coach in the NBA as well. Was there a moment where you didn't enjoy moving and going around, or, or was there a moment where you doubted that you would have one place to call home? Well, there the one year I was in Madrid when I got called from Seattle to come back in January. At Christmas time, I told my family uh, that I was going to I was going to go to college. Rick Majerus had called me and told me that. He thought he was going to get the UNLV job and wanted me to come there as associate head coach. And I said, Rick, I think I'm in. And then um, three, four weeks later, I get a call from Seattle and I'm back in the NBA. So it has a, the life has a weird way in the world of coaching. Sometimes you don't deserve to get fired. But I think if you do the right things and you stay strong and you evolve and you learn uh, and you get better as a coach, good things usually happen. When did you meet Coach Majerus? Rick and I knew each other when Rick was Don Nelson's assistant coach in Milwaukee. I think the first time I spent time with him was at a Pete Noel basketball camp in Stanford, California. And we spent three or four days eating food and watching big guys work out. So... I miss him dearly. He's probably one of my best friends ever. And there were many, many great talks on basketball. Is there a quintessential Rick Majerus story that you have? Unfortunately, it has to do with eating. I mean, Rick Majerus would usually order three or four appetizers, a salad, a main course, and then three or four desserts. And we did it once in Park City and had a great meal. I forget who was with us in, in it might have been John Hutzman. And, you know, he looked at his watch and it was about 8.30. And he said, he honestly said, let's do it again. Let's do the meal again. Wow. So he, want, he wanted to double up on one of the biggest meals I've ever eaten. And I said, you got to be crazy, man. But uh, unfortunately, he might have been with us a little bit longer if we didn't. we had told him to stop eating. But I miss him. One of the great coaches just in, in college basketball, in basketball history, frankly, Rick Majerus, phenomenal. When you were in Seattle and you had all those great legendary playoff moments against the Jazz, 96 going to seven, all those games were close. I mean, game seven, you had free throws both ways toward the end of the, of the game. What do you remember back towards that series and, and how close it was and, and how thin the margin could be when it comes to determining who would go on to face the Bulls in the finals? Well, I thought game seven told everything. I mean, that, that game never – I don't think you ever got more than five points separated us the whole game. It was a very defensive-minded game. And as you said, Sean is the high score. Sean got fouled, made two free throws. They go down, Malone gets fouled, and he misses two free throws. And that's how close that series was. And, I mean, it was Stockton, Malone, Peyton, and Kemp. 
But there were a lot of other guys involved with it. You know, Sam Perkins had a good series. Um, but that whole whole time, Stockton, Malone, Peyton Camp, that lasted a long time. And early in the series, they took advantage of us. Then we kind of got on top of them. And then after we went to the NBA Finals, they go to the NBA Finals two years in a row. So it was a marvelous part of my career. Someone once told me that we played each other like 125 times. And the margin of difference is like one or two games. That's amazing. What made those Sloan coach teams and so difficult to play and so, so evenly matched with your squads? Well, you know, I just think, you know, Jerry was known as a player, as a great defensive coach. But he was probably a better offensive coach. And he just knew how to get his players good shots. He ran a really a kind of a Dick Mata offense and had a lot of good wrinkles to it. And Stockton might be my favorite point guard of all time. I mean, I remember scouting him. And uh, I just said, this guy is unbelievable. He looked like a, a choir boy playing basketball. And uh, he went on to have an unbelievable career. But, you know, I think he was, uh, we laughed all the time because I think Malone got the MVP one year of the league. And I told everybody, I said, that's strange because John Stockton's the MVP of that team. But, you know, that's the way our, our league works a little bit. And, uh, you know, Sloan was a tough guy, great coach. But Stockton was the kind of the soul of the team. And, you know, my son has now coached his sons. And so I've run into John a few times through Kobe and David. And it's been fun comparing notes. I spoke to Brian Russell former jazz man about those series and what made them so intense. And he highlighted how Gary Payton, he'd always trash talk, but when it came to John Stockton, he knew John would never respond. John would just, just play the game. It was funny to see those two really great point guards battling on the biggest stage and doing it just in completely different manners and demeanors on the floor. Yeah, I, you know, during the pandemic, I've gone back and looked at a lot of our playoffs games. And one of my favorite series is, it's a bad series for Utah when we were down 2-1. And uh, we came into Salt Lake City and beat them in game four and then went back and beat them in game five. Those two games were unbelievably good basketball games. Really, really good basketball games. He's longtime NBA coach, second all-time in franchise victories with the Nuggets behind the great Doug Moe. Yeah. As you, you already recognized. He's George Carl, Truth and Basketball. The podcast season two comes out early fall, but do listen to season one, which is available wherever you get podcasts. Coach George Carl, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you, JP. Appreciate you. Right.